Hello everyone, welcome to the Laura Horn Art Podcast. I hope you are keeping well. This week we are answering a listener question and the question is what to do when you love too many things and can't narrow down your art style? What a brilliant question. And I know that all of us have grappled with this in some way. It doesn't matter whether you are an artist, a photographer, a musician, finding your style is challenging and it's something that we all go through. So in today's episode, we are going to share our own experiences of this from the perspective of an artist and a photographer. And I'm also going to bring in some of the wisdom that has been shared on this podcast by our artist guests, because there are many different ways that you can approach this. So stay tuned. This is a very juicy conversation with some practical tips that you can put into place. So before we get into this episode, I want to say a big thank you to everyone that submitted a question. I popped a story over on Instagram and I can't believe how many responses we got and the questions were brilliant. I feel like we have now got content for the rest of this year and all of 2021. So thank you. You've made my podcast planning job a hell of a lot easier and you've brought up things that I you know, wouldn't necessarily have thought of. So we appreciate that. And we want this podcast to be for you. We want it to be relevant, encouraging and inspiring. So I know that I can kind of harp on about things like, you know, our new house and gardening and stuff like that. And sometimes I need a bit of a reminder that this is an art podcast. (laughs) Isn't that right? That's what you were saying to me, weren't you? (laughs) Who who are the top people wanted to hear about art on your art podcast? Uh, So we're bringing the art back to the Laura Horn Art Podcast today. And I also have a lovely review to read out. Um, We just, we enjoy getting these so much, don't we? They're They're such a boost. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am enjoying the podcast so much since we came back from our break. Mm, The break was so needed. Like I am buzzing. Buzzing. I'm excited. I am enjoying hearing from other people that are listening to the podcast, connecting with new guests. It's brilliant. No, I always say brilliant. I need a new word, Richie. Yeah. <laughs> but brilliant is a great word. I like it. It is one of my favorites. Sorry about that. The repeat use of words is something that is hard to avoid. Yes, it's it, it gets to me when we're filming <laughs> classes and you're like, cut that out. And I'm like, why? And you're like, I said that word two minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So on to the review of the week. It comes from our good mess via Apple Podcasts in the USA. The podcast review is, by far, this is my current favorite podcast. It's a peaceful and inspiring place to rest. Laura Horn art classes, blogs, and podcasts are like a little dose of therapy in an insane world. Thanks for taking the breaks to keep all of the content going and for setting good healthy rhythms as an example to the rest of the world. Grateful for you too. Well, thank you so much for that review. And it's very fitting considering what we were just talking about and how the break has been so helpful for us. And we are more excited than ever to be here with you all. Yeah. And when you pick reviews to read out, I always look at the names and the names are so cool. Our good mess. Our good mess. What an awesome name. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're talking about the challenge of finding your style and not just the challenge of it, but also what it's like to find your style when you love lots of different things. 
And I think both of us can relate to this. Uh, I know in my art practice, I enjoy all sorts of different mediums, styles, ways of working. And sometimes I find this hard too, to rein it in and to focus. How about you? What's it like for you in photography? Depending on what kind of photography or what kind of creative you are, do you need to have a style? Like, do I need a style if I'm not selling work? Can I just see a photograph that someone took and copy that style? Well, that's the first thing to think about really is what is your purpose? What are you doing? Are you creating art as a hobby and enjoying it as a therapeutic practice? Are you beginning to start an art business and you want to sell your work? And it's different if you are teaching or licensing. Some of these things require a tight style and other areas it's actually quite valuable if you have some flexibility and versatility in the way that you work. So teaching is a good example of that and also licensing if you have a few different styles that can work well, whereas if you are looking at getting gallery representation or selling a lot of original paintings, then having a stronger style will help you to build up a collector base. So that's the first thing to think about is the why. Why are you wanting to find your style? And this is important because sometimes you are making art purely for your own enjoyment. And then style isn't really so important. Absolutely. And it's fun to follow all your whims and fancies. And it's the same thing if you are, you know, gardening or reading books, you bounce around and you try new things and it's lovely. So I don't want to take away from that, but putting too much pressure on finding your style. But on the flip side of that, if you are looking to set up an art business there's no denying that there are important reasons and advantages to having a recognisable style. And you want this because you want people to see your work and know it as your work. So I understand the challenge and the desire and it comes up again and again. So I want to take you through some ideas that I have around how you can develop your style. So we are going in there. I'm going to talk about it from a very practical point of view. But we wanted to start with the point that you cannot rush this process. And even if you have no intention of finding your own style, if you paint enough for long enough, you will develop one. Yeah, and that's the advice that we often hear. And it is very good advice. Do a lot of work. Get in there, paint, take many photographs, and you will eventually start to see themes and you'll figure out what you enjoy in the process. And part of figuring out what you enjoy means doing things that you don't enjoy. So we were chatting about this before we recorded the podcast and realizing that in many ways, it's a process of elimination, that you try different styles and some of them feel good and others you let go because they just aren't a good fit for you. In my own experience, you know, I've tried things like working with oil paints. I bought a whole lot of oil paints. I was fascinated by how creamy and lush they look. But when I began using them, I found that the drying time was frustrating for me. The smell of the oil paints was giving me headaches. And I had some of the most grumpy days in the studio trying to work with oil paints because I felt like this is something I should be proficient at. And in the end, I let it go. 
I went, you know what? I enjoy other materials much more than oil paints. And so now I can enjoy them. I can look at other painters that paint with oils and just appreciate them for what they do, but it doesn't need to be something that I do. And I think you've had similar experiences with photography where you've tried different types of photography, like wedding photography versus product photography, architecture. So you've done all sorts of different styles, athletes. What have you learned through that? I'm a people person. Like I, I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I'm very outgoing. But I can't stand shooting weddings or events. And I just learned that the hard way. I I went and I shot weddings and I went and I photographed events and I absolutely (laughs) detested it. But when I go and shoot architecture for a builder or an architect, I put my headphones on, I get there before the sun comes up and I go around these beautiful buildings taking photographs and I absolutely love it. I love having time to set my composition. I love having time to set long shutter exposures I really really like it but I also like shooting portraits where I'm one-on-one with somebody where you take your photograph and you show them the back of your camera and they're like blown away by the images that's amazing you know so yeah I figured that some genres I just don't want to go near regardless of how much money you can make Um, Obviously, if I was a starving artist, I would have to shoot weddings and events because that's where the money is. But my preference is to uh, either be one-on-one or shooting architecture where I can be alone with my headphones on listening to music. Do you think that you have to do the thing that you mentioned there, you would have to do weddings and events because that's where the money is? Is there a way that you could avoid that? Yeah, there is. Like we've often spoke about when your art business is making money, when do you decide to leave your job? So the only real way to do it is to keep your job for as long as possible and continue to shoot the genre that you like to shoot. Okay, I was just wondering whether if you put your passion and energy into the the area that you loved, like the real estate and the portraiture, whether or not you would have been able to build up your business in those areas without going into events and photography, you know, that kind of stuff. Look, if someone asked me now for advice, that's the exact advice I would give them. Don't compromise on what you want to shoot. So then you just have to decide, you know, do you save enough money so you can live off it for a year? or two years because you may not make the money you need to live at the beginning, you know, unless you have an angle, unless you know people in your building, you do all the photographs for all the businesses in your building or on your block, just stepping out into the world of photography and saying, right, I'm only going to be a portrait photographer or a headshot photographer. And I'm only going to work with artists and CEOs, (laughs) you know, it's. Yeah. It might be quite limiting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we certainly both agree that it's a good idea at the beginning to try many different things, to take classes, do workshops, watch YouTube, 
there's a period there where you can soak up inspiration and you might feel like you're bouncing from one thing to another, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. This is part of the process because eventually as you move through, you'll start filtering that all that inspiration and finding what it is that you truly enjoy. And also not just what you enjoy, that's a very important part, but also what is practical and is going to work well for your art business. So there's a bunch of factors to take into account. So just on this part, there is a quote that I absolutely love and it comes from Inga Buiva, who was on the podcast And she said, and I'm going to read it out now because I think it captures this phase perfectly. Don't think about style just yet. It is too much pressure. You will lose the enjoyable part of painting if you start thinking about style too early. And she's dead right. Like she's absolutely dead right. Yeah, once you pick up anything, a paintbrush, a camera, a guitar, anything, you know, just play. And and just on that, like you notice that when you paint someone else's painting and you put it on your social media or you take a photograph and you put it on your social media, a lot of people will comment on the fact that, oh, you, I could see you're heavily inspired by such and such, as if to say that's not your painting. But if you play a song on a piano because a musician died and say this is my tribute to this person, all your comments will be beautiful, very well played. So it's okay to mimic your favorite musician, but it's almost frowned upon to copy (laughs) your favorite photographer. I think the important part with it is to acknowledge where you are in the process and to um, give credit to the teachers and people that are inspiring you when you are sharing your work. Um, Because there's a difference between learning or and mimicking someone's work and kind of putting it out there as if it's your own, like your own ideas and things. So that's where um, you need to, uh, you know, there was another podcast that was really great where Dina Wakely talks about this and she says it's, you know, it's about being a good person, you know, and giving that credit where it's due, but that it's absolutely okay and wonderful to have idols and people that you look up to. And again, that's part of the process as well. As you experiment with many things, you'll notice that there's a difference between the things that you love to see and experience and the things that you actually enjoy making. Because we see things on Instagram all the time, like big canvases. Oh, I really want to do that. Or I love, you know, embroidery and stitching. I feel like I want to try that. And, you know, it's good to try these things. But what you'll notice is that there are some things that when you're actually making them, you love it. You're in the process and it works well with your life and how you, you know, move through your days. Because sometimes we see things and they just aren't as good in reality. You know, like you might want to paint big canvas, for example, but you haven't got the space. You know, the supplies are very expensive, the drying time, you've got young children coming in and interrupting you all the time. And it ends up being something that doesn't work as well when you actually put it into practice. And so I think it's important to make that distinction And when you begin to do that, what happens is that you can see things on Instagram and truly enjoy them and say to yourself, you know what, I love that, but it's not for me. And I found that very liberating when I started to take that approach because 
what I was able to do was let go of some of that envy and jealousy that I was feeling when I'd see these things and become a true appreciator of other artists. Those feelings can stop you from creating. Like they are very dangerous feelings, you know, anger and frustration and almost resentment because they have a beautiful studio and they have lots of natural light and they've got four paintings on the go and you have two new kids, <laughs> you know, the house is a mess, but get into your sketchbook, get into your little A4 watercolors, don't stop creating. And if you can, if you can manage to take a bit of a deep breath and get inspired by those people, then you're really, really on the way. Yeah. And one of the things that I think for me was that I, I grew up always wanting to be good at everything. I was very much like an A grade student, <laughs> put my hand up in class. You know, I wanted to be good at everything, like an all rounder. And so when I look at things on Instagram, I want to be good at everything there as well. And it's simply not possible. And anyone who's a bit of a perfectionist will relate to this. And it's something that I needed to work on and let go of the fact that I don't need to be good at drawing and portraits and every, you know, different type of art that's out there. And I can let that be for someone else. And for me, that's very freeing. And now I can look at things on Instagram and truly enjoy them. And I don't feel that pressure to do it all. It's kind of like on Instagram, I follow a guy called Clark Little. And he's a, uh, he's a photographer from Hawaii. And he takes these amazing photographs of waves. So he swims out into the ocean, waits for the wave to drop. And he takes these amazing photographs. And it's very technical because he uses flash in water and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not putting on a wetsuit. And I'm not swimming out to the ocean and I'm not taking those photographs. But my brain goes, I'd love to take one of those. Like, I'd love to be able to do that. But I'm not prepared to do it, you mm. know. So, yeah, I can appreciate it. So do you think now you could move into that phase where you just enjoy it? For, oh. You know, like without that pull of like, <laughs> yes. you know, I, I, I want to do that. I can do that. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, I want to be good at that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And the funny thing is, it's like he is world famous because of it and he's relatively new he's probably around seven or eight years photographs in galleries all over the world like he really made it his own so when people take photographs like that you're like oh that's Clark Little or that's his style yeah you know he kind of like owns that niche but yeah absolutely can appreciate it and anyone that does it it's great so we've already touched on how important it is to hone in on the things that you enjoy when you're actually in there making and doing it. And you talked about it from the perspective of photography and figuring out what kind of styles of photography you enjoyed. And I've chatted about mediums, you know, art mediums and figuring out what paints I like working with. And I've also, you know, had to think about my process too because there's artists that I admire that do very detailed work very intricate patterns and I love repetitive pattern but I don't have the patience for it and I find that I feel it like in my neck and my shoulders and things like you know very detailed patterns that take hours to repeat the same marks so that's one of the styles that I've come to enjoy in others but know that it's not for me you know it doesn't suit me it doesn't suit my personality and the way that I like to work I like to be a bit more messy and free-flowing 
these are important things to notice, you know, because when you discover what you truly enjoy, it makes making art so much easier, which then means you can make more art. So then you bring in that quantity side of things. Because when you find a style that you enjoy, you can stay in there for a long time and find subtle variations. And that's the key to having a style because you've got to stick with it. And you want something that you can do that, you can enjoy, you can keep doing it again and again. So that is a key part of the process. What do you enjoy? I'm nodding my head so furiously. <laughs> I, have to, I have to make sure I don't headbutt the, the microphone. <laughs> I saw you. I saw you like nodding. Yes, yes, yes. Everything you said. Absolutely 100%. And it mm. always comes back because I edit all the artist interviews. And time and time and time again, they talk about doing something over and over and over again. And we spoke about this last week, sustainability. If you don't love what you're doing, you just won't do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's why I think it is important to be motivated by your passion and love more so than money or trends or things like that. Yeah. yeah you, I'm nodding my head. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what will keep you coming back. Correct. And when I look at other artists, and I'm going to mention someone that I have been binging over on YouTube. <sighs> I have found a YouTuber, an artist, and I cannot believe that I didn't know about her because she's amazing. <sighs> and her name, and I'm, I hope I don't get the pronunciation wrong, but it's Yona Jinton. Jona I just call her yeah. Joanna and you're always looking at me saying, that's not how you say it. Uh, so she lives in Sweden, up in the northern parts of Sweden's in the woods, very remote area. And she shares her life over on Instagram and she's multi-passionate. Like she loves oh. um, art, photography, videography, singing. Uh, they, they're into making jewellery. She, she's there with her husband and the thing that strikes me about her is just how she is driven by this passion and love for what she does. And it goes beyond the, you know, making money or the trends and things like that. It is about her love of the process. Yeah. And I relate to her because I, I look at her and I can see in her that there's no other place she would rather be. I'm sitting here having this conversation with you and there's nowhere in the world right now I would rather be than here. Yeah, and I truly believe that these people that rise up and they become popular, I mean, she has over 2 million, oh, uh, is that right? 2 million followers on, uh, yeah. on YouTube. And 700,000 on Instagram. And, and then, you know, we have people like Peter McKinnon, photographer who has many millions of followers on mm -hmm. YouTube as well. I truly believe that these people are motivated by their passion, their passion for what it is that they're interested in above and beyond everything else. And their success flows from that. Yeah. So that's why at the beginning of this podcast, I was sort of trying to say to you, couldn't you, you know, hone in on uh, your love of portraiture or your love of um, architecture and if you put enough love and drive into yeah. it, make that happen because I actually do believe that. I believe that it the most important thing to focus on 
is the thing that you will get excited to get out of bed in the morning for. That's what I believe. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. But if you go back to our humble beginnings, we both worked jobs and we did our hobby part-time and yours sped quicker than mine. So you were doing markets, you were getting into cafes, you were doing sala exhibitions, and then you made the decision to cut the hours and then go full time. But there was still another income coming through. Like the, we, we had these safety nets set up. Like yeah. it's, I, I just don't want people to say, okay, I'm just going to drop everything and go. <laughs> like I know, I know. That's not really what I'm saying. I just, I just feel like there's real magic in connecting with that thing that you are so like you just love it. Oh, look. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and that's all I'm saying. To be able to focus on it full time requires a whole lot of steps to get there. But to be aware of what it is that you love. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're wasting your time doing anything other than what you love. Yes. So, be, so yeah. So. yeah. I'm going I'm to interrupt because <laughs> I want to say something. But yeah, I think you need to sort of when you know what that is, then you can do those other things as stepping stones to get there. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. I just can't articulate the way you do. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I want to talk about now getting deliberate. So what I mean by that is being intentional. You go through this phase at the beginning where you're trying out different things, you're figuring out what you love, and then you make some discoveries. How do you then turn that into a recognizable style. So to answer this, I am drawing on some of our podcast episodes and guests that have been with us and chatted about this and how they approached it in their own art practice, because there's some brilliant ideas here. And yeah. there's that word again, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Do you like have a minimum time between <laughs> words? Like is five minutes between words? <laughs> okay or is it 10 minutes and then I have to cut it out I'm just trying to think I like the word wonderful as well maybe I could throw in a few other ones fantastic it's hard not to say brilliant when you're sitting looking at me <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I've noticed is that many of the artists who have I guess gone through this journey of finding their style have got to a point where they have made some decisions and got quite deliberate about the fact that they are going to find their style which I find interesting because we often talk about making a lot of work and eventually your style will come out. But what I've noticed is that these artists did some things to help that along, to maybe make the process a little bit quicker or easier, and they made some decisions, deliberate decisions. So the first one I want to talk about is Amica Wincop. And Amica was on the podcast a while ago. Her episode is number 62. I'll I will link all the episodes in the show yeah. notes because it will make a great playlist. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, don't try not to get confused because some of these contradict each other. <laughs> yes, that's true, actually. This will illustrate that there is no right or wrong way to do this. That's right. Yeah. So Amica actually set a time frame <laughs> and it's a, it's a funny and beautiful conversation. She talks about how she decided that she had six months to find her style. Oh, yeah. 
I like her way of thinking. <laughs> and, you know, she said, you know, if I, if I haven't got a style at the end of this, then, you know, I go back to teaching, I think she said, and, you know, I pack it all in. This is it. I've got six months to figure it out. Go in there with some intention and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to ask myself powerful questions. I'm going to make work. I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to get some feedback from others. She went and saw a coach that helped her or a counselor. Uh, yeah. And she made it a, a goal. And some people might think that's crazy and that's putting yourself under a lot of pressure. Um, but for some people, it might be exactly what you need. You might need to say, you know what, I'm going to spend the next six months figuring out what my art style is. Yeah. But she was doing something she loved and she could sustain six months of it. Yeah. And she was motivated by the fact that she didn't want to go back to work. She wanted to become a professional full-time artist and she knew that in order to do the work that she wanted where she has um, gallery representation, she's putting her work in exhibitions and shows and things like that, she needed a cohesive style that her collector base could recognise and that they could add new paintings to their collections and it had that look that was unrecognisably hers. So she knew her why. Mission accomplished. Yeah. So there you go. So that's one way that you could, you could approach this. The next person, the next, uh, the next artist that I want to mention is Betty Krauss. And her episode is number 74. And Betty started painting when she was 50. So if you are thinking to yourself, it's too late for all this, it's not. Um, she, she got into painting later in life and decided that she wanted to be an abstract artist. So there's that very intentional decision again. And she had been um, working in sort of more mixed media, I want to say kind of artsy, crafty, like, um, you know, papers and smaller bits of art and making cards and things like that. But she had this desire to be a professional abstract artist, more contemporary, paint bigger, larger pieces, canvases. And at some point she decided that she needed to remove the distractions and she packed up her studio, she put away all her mixed media stuff and only had the supplies that she needed to paint the paintings that she was imagining in her mind. And she put away, you know, the pens and pencils and things and just had her paints and her canvases and, and she honed in on that. So that's another thing that you could do, go into your studio and remove some of the distractions. And, and I'm a fan of this. I'm a fan of editing down your supplies and what's around you um, and being focused. I was just about to say, you do that all the time. Yeah. When I move into a new phase of work, I create a mood board, I gather up inspiration, I do research, I put away supplies. At the moment, I'm working in acrylics. I've switched from watercolour into acrylics and I'm working in my sketchbook and I'm only using acrylic paints and a few pens and things. But you make me laugh because you set out with that intention and then totally go against it. Not at the moment, <laughs> I'll have you know. I've set myself a challenge for October where I'm only working in my sketchbook and I'm painting with acrylics, a little bit of mixed media and I'm using floral and botanical elements. So it's floral designs only. So I'm, I'm doing this to help me develop an, a new body of work or a new collection 
as well as possibly an online class in the future. And I have to say working in this way is so free, like it brings a lot of ease into your practice because you don't have so many things to think about and you can get into the process quickly because I already have a container, something that I'm working towards. And for me, because I teach, I work more in collections. So it's not so much about having, you know, one very strong style. There is a thread between my work, but I will sometimes work in a more abstract style. Sometimes I'll do uh, botanical work. Uh, Sometimes I'm in watercolor, acrylic. So there is quite a bit of variety. So this is where it comes down to what what is it that you do? Like, what is it that you want to share with the world? And for me, I want to share a lot of different techniques and ideas because primarily I teach. So that's that's important to note as well. Yeah. Anyway, I, do, I digress. I digress. <laughs> Next on the list is Julie Hamilton, episode number 60. And Julie talks about how she participated in 100 Day Challenges. And she's done the 100-day challenge, I think it's four times, possibly more now since we had that conversation. And what that means is that she chose something and focused on it for 100 days. And each time she did it, she had a slightly different um, idea that she was working with. So one of the challenges, she did abstracts and another challenge, it was botanicals. So this is, again, another way of bringing in a parameter so that you can focus in on a subject and it doesn't need to be forever. That's the other thing, but it helps to focus on something for a while. And a hundred days is quite a lengthy amount of time. Yeah. You can imagine if you paint a hundred paintings of something, some kind of subject matter, you are going to get to know it very well. And you're going to learn what you like, you don't like, you're going to try different techniques, but it's still going to have a cohesive feel. So I've mentioned challenges before. I think they're great. One of the things that Julie mentions in this podcast is that she didn't do the 100 day challenge every day for 100 days. She spaced it out. So she did 100 paintings, but sometimes she'd take a few days to do one or, you know, other days she might work in almost like a production line and do several on one day. So you don't have to do it where you show up every day and paint a painting from start to finish. And finally, I want to mention episode number 88 with Sanal Natwani. And one of the things that I picked up from this episode is that you don't need to share all of your work on social media. And I say this because when I was chatting with Sanal, I talked to her about her floral paintings. So she does these very beautiful, expressive floral pieces. Most of the time they're in her sketchbook and she uses watercolour pencils and acrylic paints. And I had never really thought of Sanal as painting anything other than beautiful floral paintings. And when I chatted to her on the podcast, she talked about all her sketchbooks that she has in her studio where she explores all sorts of different styles and ideas but she chooses to keep them private and she doesn't necessarily share those paintings on social media, but she gets to satisfy that urge to try different things. And this is another approach that you can take with your style. You can curate what you share with the world so that what people see is a more cohesive style but you can in your own world try different things and experiment and explore. 
So I thought that was a great tip as well. So you can think about what it is you are going to share on social media versus what you might keep for your own private exploration. And what you will find is when you keep things private, you are a bit braver. You know, you can try different things and not worry about sharing at all. It takes the pressure off and helps you to find new things that you can bring into your work. Absolutely. And she's classically trained, isn't she? She is. And it's a wonderful podcast episode. Yeah. As I mentioned, these episodes that I've shared today, so there's five in total, including um, Inga's at the beginning, um, would be an incredible playlist to pop on your phone and listen to because there are so many ideas but very different approaches. And that's what I want to emphasize here is this is not a situation where one size will fit everyone. It's not one size fits all. You need to discover your own way and what will work well for you. And the one thing that they all have in common and including you is they work bloody hard. Yes. Like there's no shortcuts here. There's no shortcuts here. The other thing that I've noticed that they have in common is that they're all using some kind of limitation or parameter. Um, whether that's a time frame or the supplies that they use or what they share on social media or, you know, doing a challenge, there is some kind of limitation that has helped them to uncover their style. And just going back to Inga's podcast, because uh, I didn't talk too much about her approach, but she did a lot of classes. But one thing that she decided to focus on right from the beginning is the medium that she uses. And she uses watercolour. And although there are other mediums she could have tried, she decided to only use watercolour in all of her experimenting and exploring. And the main reason for that was because it fit in with her life. She had a young baby at the time and she was painting while her son napped. And she realised quite quickly that watercolour would suit her and enable her to paint and get that work done in that nap time. So this is where those lifestyle factors come into play. And if you can pick up on what will work for you in practice and put that into place. So that was a parameter that she set for herself was that I will just paint with watercolour. Yeah, and, and during that nap time in the early days, she tried many different styles of watercolour. So she's still doing that experimenting, but she placed the limitation around the medium. So there's five different ways that you could put a limitation or a parameter on your work to help you find your style. And just coming back to that one thing in common that you all have is this hard work ethic. It kind of doesn't leave you time to be scrolling on, in, on the Instagram and on the internet. And when you're not scrolling on the internet all the time, you tend not to be influenced by other artists because you're not looking at other art. Yeah, I understand what you're saying because once you get to this stage where you set yourself a parameter, whether it be a challenge or you make a decision, I'm going to paint this type of painting, then you've got to get the work done. And at this point, I think it's very helpful to take some time away from social media and Pinterest and things like that and actually focus in on your own work. And I feel like we go through seasons with this as artists. Sometimes we're in a gathering phase where we'll be on Instagram or Pinterest or in our books and we'll be soaking up ideas. And then there is a phase where we need to take all that 
put it into practice and do the work. And we almost need to like close the door to outside influences. So there might be some times where you take a break from social media and you just focus in on your challenge that you're doing or you've got that period of time. You might have said, look, I'm going to spend the next month just doing this. So yes, this approach of setting yourself a challenge leans itself well to getting the work done and not getting distracted by outside influences. Yeah, like I know there's some comedians that don't watch stand-up comedy because they might be working on a joke and if they watch someone else, they may have a take on that same joke. Yeah. So they just don't watch other comedians. It's funny because I almost take that approach with this podcast. I actually don't listen to too many art podcasts because I worry that if I listen to other artists chatting about things, then I might, you know, come into our podcast and our episode will be very similar to someone else's episode or it might just affect my thoughts. So I try not to listen to too many podcasts that are very similar to ours, but sometimes I do because... You know, they're great. They're great. And yeah. I, I want to support them too, but yeah. it's just that it's finding that fine line. And I think you need to recognize where you are at, you know, whether you're in a phase of being able to see things and enjoy and appreciate them or whether or not you're in a stage where you are feeling like a bit down and you are getting envy coming up for you or your ego is at play and it's destructive. Yeah. And I go through phases with both. I want to be completely honest, you know. Sometimes I listen to things and or I see things and I get I get jealous, you know. I'm like, oh, you know, their podcast is better than ours or, you know, that kind of stuff. So then I go, you know what, take a break. Take a break because it's not feeding you in a good positive way. Yeah, we were talking about Peter McKinning just well, – we, we weren't talking about him, we just mentioned him. And he has a – a weekly segment now where he goes through his friends' photographs. They take five images each. And last week he was talking about, you know, someone showed him one of their favorite images. And he goes, looking at your photograph is making me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, but it's good because it only lasts a few seconds. And then I get inspired by it. Yeah. And... I was like, I wish I was like you, Peter, because I'd be mad for a day. <laughs> so I have, I do have that experience sometimes where I get, you know, I get kind of mad or jealous of something. And then very quickly, I'm like, you know what? I need to get better. Yes. And it, it fuels me to get better at my craft. 100%. And that's when it's working in a good way. When you can do that switch very quickly and use someone else to inspire you to get better at something and be a better, you know, be a better artist. Mm -hmm. That's when it's good. But when it, you know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you link it there and you're like, oh, I'm not good enough and I need to get yeah. better and you get destructive. So, yeah, you need to, you need to check in with yourself as yes. to where you are in that, uh, in that, what's the word, um, spectrum. Yeah. yeah. I want to finish by saying that it doesn't mean that you can't go and explore something else later. 
And one of the benefits of doing something like a challenge is that you'll focus in on a subject matter. But as you do that, what will come through are some things that are transferable to other subjects. So the way that you hold your brush, the style of marks that you make, the colors that you use. And this is what I like to call the thread. And this is key because with this thread, you can then move to another area and you could pick up landscapes or you could pick up portraits, but you can bring your approach into it and it becomes recognizable, even though you're doing something different. And this is what many artists do and do very well. They move through different subjects, but it still looks like them. And to me, this is the holy grail. (laughs) This is when you can enjoy all those loves, but it still looks like your work. So be patient, do the work, go in, set yourself a parameter, work on it for a while, but know that you can eventually bring that style into other areas and you can enjoy all those things that you love. Yeah, the question is, What to do when you love too many things? Well, the number one thing is to not stop loving those (laughs) things. Yes, I don't want you to stop loving all those things. You know, that's what makes it good to be human and to be alive. Uh, I, I just can't imagine a world where we didn't have all different kinds of art and music and things we can touch and experience. I don't want to, like take that away or crush that in any kind of way. So what I'm saying is play, experiment, enjoy those things and then take something and and dig in deep with it for a while and then use what you learn to then go and explore something else. It is a continuous and ongoing journey. Your style is going to change. It's going to evolve. That's wonderful. It's natural. It's exactly what we want. So back to the question, I want to make sure that we definitely answer the part about how to narrow down your style when you love many things. We can't ever tell someone not to do all the things. We want, we want people to do all of the things. We want them to love what they do. But the question is about how to narrow it down. Correct. So this is where we get very specific. Yeah. You know, this is a specific question. So we'll give it a very specific answer. And in all the examples that I gave you, the artists have narrowed down what they're going to focus on. They've gone through that process. But the question is, how did they decide? How did they choose something to focus on? So one of the things that you could do is to write a list, to think about all the things that you love the different styles and ideas, like get it out there, like brainstorm what it is that you could work on and then come back at it with some kind of filtering process where you look at what do I enjoy the most, but it goes beyond that. Like what can you actually imagine painting again and again for say a hundred days? That would be a good question to ask yourself. What's practical? Think about your situation, your home life. How much time have you got to give to this? You know, how much space do you have? Go back to your why. Why are you doing it? Is it because you want to get into a gallery? Do you want to set up an online shop? Do you want to teach? Do you want to license your work? 
which of those things on your list would be best suited to that purpose? So these are the kind of questions that you can come back and ask to help you narrow it down and then choose something. You just have to choose something to focus on. It's difficult, but what you'll find is that once you do it, it's like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders because you then don't have to worry and grapple with this anymore because you have something to devote your energy to for the next month or three months or however long you choose. And even though that's a restriction, it provides so much freedom because now you can play. Now you can do the work. You can switch off some of those other influences. You can declutter your studio and you get to work. And that's the best advice that I can give you. So I hope this podcast helps. I wish everyone a lot of happiness as they continue on this journey. We're all on it together. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and that you'll tune in again next week. One more thing before we go, I just wanted to mention how much I love it when you share the podcast over on Instagram. I often share the stories on my own Instagram, but one of the things that I really enjoy is seeing how the episode impacted upon your art practice and whether you've got some little bits of wisdom that you can put into place. So please do continue to share those stories. You can tag me with at Laura Horn Art over on Instagram and Richie and I both very much enjoy seeing them and appreciate them.